Thanks, uh, Mark. Uh, glad to be here. This is really a different kind of group that I'm used to attending. Uh, my name is Safar Ashti. I am a venture capitalist in Silicon Valley. We run an early stage venture firm called Think Plus Ventures. We invest in seed and Series A across a number of industries with our focus being that we like to find really deep market pain points. So we focus not on the entrepreneurs, but first on the market and the research. <coughs> My background is research analyst on Wall Street for 10 years. Uh, my friends joked that I gave uh, Eric Schmidt the idea of how to make money at Google. It's only partially true because I did meet with Eric after two weeks that he had joined Google and he asked me what should we do and I said you should look at this company called GoTo.com. They had invented the search monetization model. So of course he knew what to do but the, the rest of it is history. And after that, I started looking at private companies. I made, uh, after I left Wall Street, I made 30 investments. Seven of them sold to public companies. And in 2017, we started the first fund, which has now been 4X. We have had three unicorns and an exit, and now we're raising our fund too. Uh, I, again, I have to say, this is exciting. Mark, thanks for inviting me. I mean, I've never really seen such eclectic topics and people coming together, and there is really a, uh, a common thread among these that we don't see in Silicon Valley. Uh, so uh, I'll make it short. So what does excite me? What excites me is the potential for the technologies, and not just Web 3.0, but other technologies that are being developed, uh, especially in healthcare, but also different business model in innovations in fintech. Uh, in EdTech that can actually empower more people, bring all of these things, uh, have more people access to these services across the world. I'm especially focused on education. I'm really hoping that over, the, over my lifetime at least, we can improve quality education and access to it to many people. So these things excite me because I see some movements towards it, but there's a whole lot that, uh, that I'm fearful of, but I don't want to take too much time on the negative at this point, so that's me. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm Julia Monfrini-Pieve, the um, founder and managing partner of Pace Healthcare Capital. We are an early stage investment firm uh, investing in healthcare tech and digital health based here in uh, Chicago. Um, last year, we invested in uh, three companies. It was really our first year of, of capital deployment. And th there are so many interesting things to, to do in, in Chicago in healthcare tech, and uh, I'll try to speak to that. We invest in late seed, series A and B. We really look for uh, one uh, critical um, solutions in the healthcare field, so many issues that we need to pay attention to two uh, diverse uh, leadership team and three commercial tractions and signals that the company is on the rise and about to get to scale. Um, my background, uh, before starting Pace, I spent a little over 10 years in private equity. Uh, my last role in private equity was uh, with a Canadian pension plan called CDPQ, uh, where I was in charge of our direct uh, healthcare investments for North American and Latam. So, deployed about a billion dollars of capital in, in private equity. And um, anytime my investments were trying to deploy software to reach out to patients or um, automate <coughs> parts of their business, they were always partnering with a small company that somehow Silicon Valley didn't like as much. Um, but 
you know, because they weren't necessarily growing as fast as we wanted or, or, or whichever, and so that prompted to start PACE um, here in, in Chicago, which is really the, the center of health, the healthcare industry in, in the U.S. Um, what excites me? Uh, well, COVID was a tragedy in many different ways, but it brought the healthcare industry forward by about a decade in just a year and a half. So we're now seeing companies, hospitals, modernizing the healthcare delivery models, the way they interact with patients, and really driving outcomes in, in ways that would have taken so much longer if COVID hadn't happened. Um, and this is creating many opportunities. Now that the sanitary emergency is decreasing, we actually see um, hospitals coming back into deploying more technologies. And so we, we're almost engaging now in an, a new frontier. Um, I was yesterday at the American Telemedicine Association. We looked at um, innovators, and we've seen technologies such as um, handheld portable ultrasounds so that mothers-to-be can actually check on their fetuses at home with an accuracy rate to find a heartbeat of 95%. And now we can start thinking about you know, um, areas that are hard to reach for hospitals, areas in crisis, so actually these companies deploying in Ukraine so that their doctors can help mothers-to-be in Ukraine care for their um, soon-to-be-born babies. And that would not have been possible a decade ago. Another company, actually, I keep asking Lauren, what is it we can do for health equity on, on the south side? Um, and he keeps saying, it's, don't come to me with your gadgets. I don't have broadband access. And so we've we now seen a company that developed a tiny device that can broadcast data from patients through cellular networks in very, very low um, connectivity areas. And so healthcare is, is moving forward. What actually scares me is not what happens in healthcare tech, it's what happens in the periphery. What happens if the stock markets close? What happens if other parts of the economy don't do as well? Because our companies continue to need funding in order to get to scale, and this may actually impact the rate at which we, we do that. So I keep an eye on what goes on, but I would say in our field, fundamentals continue to stay um, really robust. Thanks, Julia. And great job, of course. Um, my name is Eddie Vanderbart. I indeed come from a small town, Leiden, an important town. Does anyone know the importance of Leiden? <laughs> Ten points for Simon and Freeview. <laughs> Where our pilgrims went, they were they were wanting freedom, then they saw too much freedom in Leiden, and they came to America. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and that's exactly why I came to. Too much freedom is not good. <laughs> came to the U.S. 20 years ago, so it's a while. So I consider myself half American, half Dutch. Um, I started a fund under the, under the tutelage, if you like, of Mark, with 361 together with a, another 361 stalwart and ex-family office manager, Rich Sobel. And we uh, do early stage late seed through Series B impact investments in, uh, in sectors, uh, what we call the most important impact sectors, so climate tech, agri-tech, health tech, we did health tech part with none other than Julia, which you're extremely excited about. 
um, and education. And so those are the four sort of pillars of our, uh, of our uh, domain. Um, we seek, uh, we, we define, imp impact is always a very difficult word. It's easy to say, but very difficult to sort of uh, define, but we, we define it very simply as a positive outcome on the world. So reduction of CO2 in uh, climate tech, uh, equal access to education in, in, in education, um, more productive uh, use of resources or more yielding resources in, in agri-tech, agri for example. Um, and at the same time, uh, we want obviously our companies to provide a market return at a minimum. So a lot of people always ask, how, how can you combine those two? Is it not a little bit of philanthropy? Uh, and we say no. We can combine those two and, and hold exactly the same, uh, exactly those two accountable, uh, because more people want this. It's, it's, tomorrow, I think uh, John Dennison is going to have a keynote uh, a speech, and he uses the word triple upship for that. Um, so stakeholders, suppliers, customers, right now want to be more thoughtful about the types of products and types of services they use more than ever before. Um, and obviously it's, it's not a black and white thing, so there is, there is such thing as a green premium, quote advice with uh, you know, Bill Gates saying, you know, the difference between a product that emits, let's say, uh, CO2 versus not, and the difference in price um, is called the green premium. And, and, there, and we obviously sometimes invest in that premium, but always with the idea that eventually the unit economics will outweigh that green premium in the long term because again it has to be a sustainable sustainably profitable company in the long run. Um, what excites me is that and I think uh, it was Roy Amara a Stanford computer scientist who said we overestimate the impact of technology in the short run and underestimate the impact of technology in the long run. Uh, what excites me is the impact of technology in the long run. And, and one of the examples is, there's many examples in healthcare. But one of the examples in, uh, in, um, in agri-tech, which is one of my favorite um, verticals, is vertical farming. Vertical farming is, uh, is, an, is, an, is an unbelievable growth segment. It came, it came from a Chicago guy, right? Ron Diamond? Mm. That's, that's right, that's right. By Ron Diamond, we invested too. Um, and uh, it's been billions of dollars plowed into it. It's also very dangerous and overheated, right? The moment Silicon Valley starts plowing billions, you have to sort of, uh, you know, head for the exit. But um, the idea is that if the unit economics work out, vertical farming can really provide um, a, a future for, for folks and for countries and for cities without opportunity to, uh, to have access to, uh, to, uh, to fresh fruits and vegetables um, because of the indoor vertical farming that's not related to sort of climate change or droughts or anything like that. Uh, and obviously it's very difficult to, to sort of make the analysis. Can we provide um, unit economics because it's a crop and it's a commodity? And so we think the answer is yes, you can. You have to be very careful what you're investing. Um, and we invested in technology that was very that eliminated most labor, which is one of the hardest components to get rid of. Um, but seeing that and, and, and uh, seeing that that problem to sort of essentially feed 1.1 billion people that are sort of underfed and malnourished, uh, and, uh, and that, that part of that solution to it will be vertical farming, 
seeing money pour into it and folks uh, dramatically making uh, steps to, let's say, decrease the price of indoor, indoor farm lettuce, which came from 7 to 5 to 3, and hopefully by, uh, by mid-next year or so, it will sort of break the $2 barrier, um, is, is kind of remarkable. And uh, that, that, that excites me very much. And this is an example of what we, uh, what we follow and what we do. Thank you, Andy. Um, my name is Michael Spitt. I'm uh, coming from Germany, uh, running a small uh, equity boutique called Equitas. Um, uh, Equitas is doing deal by deal transactions, and uh, we are taking over also responsibility in companies. Uh, so I'm acting also as, uh, at the moment as a CF, uh, CFO, CEO of a fintech company, which is called Cleverbridge, based on the other side of the river. Yeah, so uh, it's in Cologne and in Chicago. Uh, and uh, let, me, but let me start with what, what excited me. Um, when I uh, left uh, in 2020, uh, the last conference of, uh, of uh, S361, this was the last one where we have the first meeting, and I'm really excited that uh, we are starting again uh, these type of conferences and uh, bringing people together in a different environment, not on Zoom. Zoom is great. Yeah, everything which we do on uh, Virtual uh, things are is good, but uh, to have the interconnection and personal relation, that's also is better, and uh, this gives also some different moments, uh, which uh, creates uh, some activities between people uh, which are neglected in the past. Yeah, we see this, and we will talk about uh, future of work and everything else. This has also an impact, and I'm uh, I believe that uh, socializing is a very helpful and useful tool. Uh, for uh, making business. Coming back to FinTech, um, and uh, Equitas is investing in uh, different types of investments. Uh, so we have, uh, we had uh, machinery investments, we had a lot of telecom and uh, IT investments, and uh, I was excited when I was appointed and uh, asked in 2019 to take over parts of uh, Cleverbridge and uh, got the opportunity to bring the company from a stage of Farmlad to PELAT. Yes, I managed uh, this iterative period and uh, we sold the company last year. And uh, I will come back to that point a little bit later. Uh, and uh, this was an exciting time as I learned a lot of the industry. Uh, the industry for itself is booming. Yeah, so investing in fintech is not wrong. Uh, fintech, uh, if you do it right and give it go to the right part of the fintech industry, uh, this is uh, an, uh, something and that's where we have a long-term impact of technology. It's not a short-term investment. Yeah, um, I'm not talking about those things which are uh, done currently by banks and which are uh, used uh, from other perspectives uh, doing, uh, using with technology. I'm talking about those things where uh, fintech help company to get better processes. The company Clever, which I'm running at the moment, uh, is exactly on that point. It's the advanced part of FinTech where we combine different processes, payment processes, uh, checkout processes on the internet, technology processes uh, on uh, anti -money, uh, money laundering, and uh, also uh, the complete uh, kind of uh, de uh, developing the marketing strategy for companies. And there are a lot of companies we uh, get on board in the last uh, two years during COVID, which has changed their processes and which used now, which are using now uh, the services we are offering because 
there uh, see that uh, working on the internet and doing uh, these complete processes from an outside perspective is much more healthy for them and gives them uh, a different challenge. Yes, so we uh, have grown the company from 500 million to a billion in two years' time, uh, still by uh, having uh, the processes in place. But this is also a challenge for everybody because we are in the in war of talents. The, the most exciting thing we had uh, for, uh, was that we uh, closed the relation with the Ukrainian company and we got 50 uh, developers on board it in 2019. This is currently also a challenge for us to support them during the war. Yeah, but uh, this was uh, great uh, that we did this at that time because at the moment there is nothing in the market where we can, where we can do to fulfill the gaps we have on the technology development. To give you a little bit more of the inside of the industry, uh, what we have seen, my company, Cloverbridge, is 15 years old, and uh, when I took it over, and uh, um, we have seen that there are uh, a lot of competitors in the market, but there is a huge uh, amount of money which has been spent also by investors to bring further competitors to the market. So there's a huge company in, uh, in the UK called Paddle, they raised 500 million last year, still for that year, and they hired 1,000 developers in India just to bring in the payment services uh, onto the market. Uh, this is a, a, a clear signal that a lot of um, people believe in these type of technologies and everything that's going on. But on the other side, the flip side of uh, the metal is uh, less developers. Last uh, resources, we have spoken about uh, in different other uh, um, uh, meetings during uh, lunch, uh, that this is definitely a lag. But uh, there is also a lag uh, in developing the right technologies, AI. Everybody should be working on, uh, uh, on, uh, on intelligences and uh, establishing that one. So for us, on anti-money laundering and checking the, this one completely automatic is a must. And having this established, it took us only six months, but uh, to work on the AI and uh, develop this step by step. This is an important topic for, uh, for everybody because uh, then uh, we can also uh, only um, make sure that we fulfill the requirements and the requirements are given by uh, the governments. So the fintech industry is a completed regulated industry and uh, uh, especially uh, in Europe uh, we have um, seen a lot of change on the law. Uh, on the laws uh, which are restricted for everybody and which uh, are hindering us to do something more advanced uh, and this is, is also from the perspective of an investor a risk. So uh, just to give you a heads up on that one and uh, this scares me, uh, we, uh, we closed the transaction with the PE company last year in April. The change of control process to transfer the license is not finalized yet. So we have not the closing. Yeah. So uh, this is uh, uh, something which is also uh, hindering the industry a little bit uh, of getting further money in that because transactions are restricted also by the different regulators. The SEC um, took eight months to transfer our license to the new shell, uh, to, to the new uh, seller. Uh, in Europe, it's still ongoing. So, is there a price adjustment? <laughs> there is no price adjustment. We have a good deal. Yeah, so the lawyers did good work on that. Yeah, so we don't have a MAC clause in the contract. Yeah, so. <laughs> okay. Take it home. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Uh, I'll be brief. Uh, Gerald Beecham, uh, glad to be with everyone again uh, this afternoon. I was with you all back in September um, in a different context around cannabis. But uh, I'm here, I think, on this panel primarily to talk about uh, technology-related things. I was a venture partner um, and in a fund called Workbox Ventures that is primarily focused on future of work, fintech, and prop tech. And uh, what excites me is similar to what a lot of folks have, have already kind of raised. Um, going back 20, well, 25 years, I was on a predecessor to Apple Pay. Um, I'm on the patent to a predecessor to Apple Pay going back 25 years. And so when you talk about it takes a while, it takes a while. Um, but that gives me tremendous hope and, and, and uh, optimism because, uh, you know, I just refied my house and with a top, top 20 mortgage provider bank, and I still had to cut a check. I could only pay my, my mortgage by check. Life insurance, same thing. So unless you, yeah, so it's just, it's crazy how antiquated a lot of the, the industries that we participate in, we call you know, finance and, uh, and, and big tech. Prop tech, um, I am an advisor to a company that right now is helping streamline the asset management process for um, a number of big services because they still use Excel and spreadsheets and do a lot of data entry. So a lot of basic things that I think we take for granted and we assume are advanced, but in reality, um, you know, there's still a lot of basic processes and the back offices of a lot of big organizations are, um, are antiquated to say the least. The last point I'll make is, and Andy and I were talking about this at lunch, but there's a company that happens to be focused on, a fintech company focused on the, the, uh, the cannabis space and underwriting, providing kind of microloans to cannabis operators. But the beauty of that, of their capability is they can underwrite loans and uh, make loans at $500 a pop, which when you think about access to capital and thinking, rethinking the underwriting model that a lot of banks have, I mean, I came, I was at Jaguar for a bunch of years, so um, in the cannabis space, if you've done any work there, um, it's amazing to me how the legal entity structures look like J.P. Morgan, um, and these are million-dollar companies. So uh, I think that that's something that makes me optimistic. I think pessimism, I'm kind of a pessimist by nature. Um, if anyone that knows me may know that. I'd say I'm 48, and so I've never lived in a rising rate environment. I've never run a business in a rising rate environment. I think most of us in this room probably have never run a business in a rising rate environment. So what that looks like over the next 20 years is a big question mark to me. Um, the next three to five in particular are going to cause a lot of shocks, I think, in a lot of credit portfolios and other places, especially in real estate. Next 20 years, tons of opportunity. And I'm waiting for being a pessimist at heart. I'm really a distressed guy, so I'm waiting for the <laughs> real cracks of the foundation to really get after it. But um, in the interim, uh, we'll have some fun in FinTech and PropTech and other places. So, thank you. So, just questions, comments from what you heard about these industries?
processes that you're looking at Right, there's 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 lots of uh, lots of technology we look at. Um, a lot around analytics. We we very much of a uh, sort of capex light um, model. Uh, so analytics software um, that increases productivity or that that better understands yield. Um, for example, um, analytics that improves the understanding of uh, the various param- the, the, the dynamics and the parameters in farms. Uh, we look at um, um, we're, we're currently evaluating a couple of companies from Israel in that, uh, in that respect funnily, funnily enough my home country and Israel are two uh, I think most uh, sort of sought after countries for agriculture technology uh, outside of the states uh, and so we're, we're, we're constantly scouring the market for new sort of software AI, robotics um, Based technologies that can either improve productivity or, uh, or um, you know, resilience against pests, which is also decreasing a lot of productivity in the farm. Um, but also, for example, um, we look at we look more upstream on the food side. Does that include um, cattle and stock? Yeah, they're 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 interestingly enough, we came across a, an interesting company that. By uh, by incorporating little chips in in the color of a cow, understands five days before the farmer <coughs> whether the cow is sick or not, based on the the, pe- the pattern of walking and resting, and uh, and therefore can you know improve the health of a cow faster and increase the productivity in the milk. talk a little bit more about uh, what specifically in the fintech edtech space that you're focused and perhaps any intersections there? Uh, sure, happy to. Within edtech, uh, we have several companies. The biggest one that's been the most successful is called Apply Board. It's in Canada. And uh, they connect international students to colleges and universities in U.S. and Ca- in Canada, U.S. and Europe. Uh, the model is uh, very good because it actually helps these students get into the right college uh, without having to go through the arduous process of having someone fax their documents to school, wait to see if they accept it and see without knowing which school to apply. So this is essentially a tech platform that makes everything automated using some AI, but mostly really just basic technology, takes the documents, sends it to university, and university also sends the application electronically. So no paper checks in here. Um, and it's highly lucrative. They invested in the company at $12 million valuation. It's now worth $3.4 billion. Their mission is democratizing education overall. And within that context, we're looking at other companies that can help students get to higher education more easily. One of those companies is called Empowerly, which essentially is uh, democratizing the college counseling business, which is a very expensive and uh, very difficult business by making it uh, accessible to middle classes and others through mentorships. So, it, again, it's a marketplace that connects students with mentors through a tech platform that helps the mentors actually guide the students properly and charges a fee. 
Uh, within FinTech, I'm really most excited about inclusion models. Uh, one of our companies is called Perch. They just renamed themselves to Altro. They uh, actually is one of our, uh, unfortunately, the only minority-based founder from a disadvantaged family who uh, came up with the idea that uh, especially students, but also people who have uh, lower income, who don't have any credit, have to have a way to start building that credit. And this can be done by all these regular payments, such as subscriptions to Netflix and even rent <coughs> and other payments that they pay. So they created this model and they worked with all the major credit agencies to accept these to start building credit for these young people and eventually bring them into the fold. So overall, I think that we really have to bring a lot, many more people into this fold of digital platforms, whether it's digital health, digital education, or, or, or fintech. And within that, I really believe that having both access to internet and broadband access is the most fundamental right that everyone should have. And that is the biggest thing that I think we're still missing in a, in a major way. So I'll stop there. So if, if I may, a quick follow-up on that one would be, you expressed earlier, I think, that you said that your your kind of key uh, investment range was uh, seed or pre-series A, which is pretty low for people in this room. How do you source, uh, how, do, how do you find those deals that are so small there must be so many? Uh, there are. We, we, we screen about 1,500 deals a year. By screening, I mean that we get, the, uh, we get the pitch book, we take a look and decide, do we want to spend some time on this or not? And we spend about, uh, we, we look through about 200 of them uh, more diligently, have a meeting or a call or a Zoom call with them. Out of those, we do due diligence with about 50 of them, which means we do several calls. We talk to their customers or their investors or others and we do industry research, and we invest in about five or six in a year. Uh, so where we get these are from a number of sources. We are highly tied to Stanford and Berkeley and the group of entrepreneurs, about several hundred of them, who give us the deals. We do inbound, uh, we do outbound deal sourcing, especially to research papers that we write and publish so people find us. And finally, through a network of venture capitals, like us, because that's one of the beauties of our business, that it's really not a competition, but at best the cooperation, but oftentimes a cooperation. So we syndicate deals with others. We have, I've been getting deals from investors in Miami and New York and other places. We have a company in, in London. We have three companies in, in Canada. So a lot of things, once you're in the system, deal sourcing isn't really that difficult anymore. So. Just because you're wearing these shoes, I have to call on you to come. <laughs> is one of his owners is the owner of the Cincinnati Reds. We're talking about industries and what what excites us. And just you know what you're doing. And don't talk about scare. Just what excites you the most right now? Introduce yourself. Uh, sure. So my name is Mohsen Masood. I'm the founder and CEO for a crew. Sorry, I was late. Delayed flights, mass transit, lots of issues. Uh, what's exciting about the uh, industry right now is the opportunity. Different industries. Uh, we're specifically within uh, Web 3.0, blockchain, decentralized measures. Uh, that, that, that's the product that we have. We do real estate tokenization, essentially. But the possibilities of growth within this industry are massive, if done correctly. And that's where the biggest issue usually is. How do you make sure you're doing it in a compliant manner? How do you make sure your offerings are 
not in breach of securities law or is not going to get you into trouble with SEC or some of the other three and four that are regulators. And so that's uh, th that's the opportunity, which is which is the single most exciting for sure. Well, we have one last panel standing is between us and uh, breakouts. I think even there's drinks outside. Uh, Madison. So uh, let's say thank you to this panel. Come join our 361 firm community of investors and thought leaders. We have a lot of events created by the community as we collaborate on investments and philanthropic interests. Join us.